Uh, today's uh, sermon is called Paul to His People. Uh, I remember a few years ago, I was talking to our senior pastor, and I was uh, asking him why he doesn't speak more at conferences. You know, I was, I'm pretty close to him, and so I would uh, see kind of the invitations that he would receive from different conferences and, and different events throughout the years. And some of them were actually really nice. <laughs> some of them uh, were conferences that, uh, where they gave the invitation and they said, you know, we want to pay for your flight, for your, the, the place of lodging is a really nice hotel. And then after the conference, we want to uh, just take you out on a sightseeing tour to, to see the city, to see the place, uh, all of that. You know, essentially, they want to wine and dine him without the wine, of course. But they want to be able to have a, a good time. And yet, for almost forever, I feel like, I have never really seen our senior pastor go out to these conferences. I very rarely ever see him speak at events outside of our church. And so I asked him, do you not like speaking at conferences? And I remember his answer because he said, you know, I like speaking at conferences, but I love speaking to my church. And he said, for me, when I first became a pastor, when I first planted Shining Star, when I first had this vision, God made sure to tell me that my priority wasn't to speak to conference people, wasn't to speak to overseas people, wasn't to go to all these other places. He said, my priority was for my church in my flock. And the thing that I love more than anything is to speak and preach and teach to the people that I walk life with. I bring this up because I truly believe that Paul has the same mindset. For the book of Acts, we know that his calling, that one of his passions is to preach and teach to the Gentile people. We know that he's been going to all of these different cities and he's been standing in the temples and in the marketplaces and all of these other places and just proclaiming the word of God that he argues and tries to convict and tries to convince people through intellect, through rational debate, through you know, emotions of the heart, through kind of connecting culture. He, he does all of these things so well. And yet, it's also clear that there was a special place within his heart for the churches that he planted. There was a special place within his heart for the people that he helped grow and nurture and disciple. You can tell that he loved those brothers and sisters. And you can tell that those brothers and sisters loved him back. For all of Acts, we are used to those sermons that go out and preach and teach to outsiders to the Gentiles, to people who don't believe. In fact, all of Acts up to this point was Paul giving those types of sermons. And yet in this passage, this is the only sermon in Acts where Paul is preaching to Christians, where Paul is speaking to his church, to the elders in Ephesus. 
You see, remember that he came into Ephesus when there, were, there weren't any really any believers. And so he was able to preach there and teach there, and he founded a church. And for three years, he nurtured and grew them to become mature Christians. And now it was his time to leave. It was his time to now preach to other places. God was calling him into a different city. And so he gathers the Ephesian elders, he sits them down, and he begins to preach to them. So this is a different sermon than his other sermons because he's not trying to convince them of anything. He's not trying to rationally debate them in any way. He's just simply speaking to them out of love, saying, brothers and sisters, man, you know me. I know you. I want to encourage you, and I want to challenge you with these words before I go. And so today, I want to look at three things that Paul tells his church, his people. First is to live as an example. Second is to serve only God. And third is to cry for each other. Now, first, to live as an example. Verse 17, it says this, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Paul, it says, he gathers the elders together to speak to them. Now, before we go into what Paul says, I want us to understand the definition of an elder. If you've grown up in the church at all, if you know a little bit about church background, you've heard of the word elder before. But here it's used, I think, a little bit differently. Because the Greek word for elder is presbytero. And that is simply where we get the word presbyterian from. It's a word that means spiritually mature. That's all. So when Paul is gathering the Ephesian leaders, he's calling those who are spiritually mature to hear him. And that's what we have to understand what the broad definition of elder means is those who are spiritually mature. Not those necessarily who are old in age. Not those who are necessarily who are very experienced or very rich or anything like that. It's just simply those who are spiritually mature. And the first thing he tells them is to live as an example. Verse 18, when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. You see, Paul understood something important. He understood that the gospel was an embodied gospel. He understood that the stickiest and longest lasting sermon that he will ever preach is not going to be done with his words, but it will be done through his life. He knows that for them, what's going, what they will remember are not necessarily the words that he speaks, but the life that he lived. Now, this doesn't mean that words don't matter. Of course they matter. It doesn't mean that preaching and teaching don't matter. But it does mean that people have to see something in your life as well. It means that your example as a Christian is so vitally important in leading people closer to Christ. How you live matters. And it's not simply what you believe. It's not simply the words that you are able to say. 
And it's not simply just how you live within the church context, it's how you live outside that matters and it affects people. Your life has an effect on other people. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul, he says, look, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Look, I know that this verse, it can seem daunting. And this idea of living as an example can be daunting for many of us because we think, man, how can I be an example? How can I be someone that I can say confidently, model my life? follow after me. And yet I think it's important to note that as great as Paul seemed to be, he was only human. That as great and as almost sinless as Paul may seem to be, he was sinful. He was simply a man and yet he had the confidence to say, follow after me, follow my example. And the reason why is because he simply wanted to serve the Lord with humility. Church, that's going to be the key thing for you as well. It's not necessarily how perfect you can live your life. It's what is your mentality? Where is your heart today? Because a lot of people can fake their actions. A lot of people can do the right motions. And yet if their heart isn't in the right place, that is not pleasing to the Lord and that will be exposed sooner or later. But the question is, not whether your actions are always perfect, but is your heart in the right place? Are you wanting and willing to serve the Lord with humility? And if you are, then you can say with full confidence Follow my example as I follow after Christ. This is where Paul gets his confidence from. It's not because his actions were perfect. Of course not. It's because he understood the mentality needed in order to say something like this. For a lot of us, we can forgive other people's actions when we hear their intentions afterwards. This is important for us when it comes to Christianity too because our actions will sometimes mess up. There will be times when things don't always mesh well. And there will be times when we fall short of the glory of God, of course, because we're humans. And yet, the question is, are you striving to serve God with humility? If you can answer yes to that man, then you are on the right track. That's why, man, I want to encourage those who are new to Christ. If you have only been following him for a little bit, if you are saved maybe in this church a year ago, or maybe two years ago, you can still be a good example. Because it's not about how badly you lived your life before. It's not about the mistakes you may make in the future. It's your mindset today saying, I am going to serve the Lord with humility now. I'm going to do my best because of what God did in my life. I'm going to live my life for Christ because he did everything for me. And if you are able to say that with conviction within your heart, then you are an example to others. Remember that, church. And this leads to the second point. Paul tells his church to serve only God. You know, verse 19 and 20, it says, Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. 
how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was prof profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. You see, the first three words of verse 19, it says, serving the Lord. In verse 20, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. For Paul, he always viewed his ministry primarily as service to Jesus Christ and not to people. And I know that this sounds really obvious, but it's also very important. Because in Galatians 1.10, he really spells it out for us. He says, do I now seek the favor of men or of God? Do I seek to please men for it? If I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. He says that if your ministry is to be popular with people, then it's not really ministry. That if your ministry is to be popular with people, then you are not actually following after Christ. You see, in Galatians, to give you some context, there were these people called Judaizers. And they were telling the church in Galatians that Paul didn't care about circumcision, that he didn't care about following the law because he simply wanted to have the approval of people. And yet for the Judaizers, they want to follow the law. They want to follow the rules of circumcision. And so they cared more about God than about other people. And so they were trying to twist the words and trying to make Paul into somebody who only pleases after people. But Paul, he writes that letter and he says in verse 8, If I'm preaching a different gospel than what's true, I pray to God that I am cursed. Now, he is not someone who is serving in order to gain people's favor. Church, this means that sooner or later, if you are a Christian, you are going to have to choose whether you are serving God or whether you are serving people. Everyone is going to have to choose, but there's only one right choice. And there's only one choice that will help you grow as a Christian. Choosing to serve God does not mean that you stomp all over people, but it does mean that your priority is towards God first. It means that your conviction and what the gospel says that your conviction in the truth of the Bible is greater than your response to what other people may say to you. It means that even if that other person may come to you and they may be upset or they're angry or they ignore you or you lose a friend even, that it's worth it because your conviction and who God is and his character is more important and is a priority for you over their response. And this is how we teach evangelism. This is how we teach mission work. Because for a lot of us, I know that we are hesitant to spread the gospel. We are hesitant to share the good news with people because we're afraid of how they're going to react to us. Some people receive it well. Some people are willing to have a dialogue. Sometimes God will bring in people at the exact right time who are struggling in, in their life and they need to hear the gospel and things just click. And yet other times what will happen is that someone will come to us or we'll go to them and we'll say the gospel and things explode. They get angry. They get upset. Or they ignore us. 
And that hurts, absolutely. I'm not trying to belittle that. But the question is, are you more convicted of the gospel than you are of their response? The illustration that I love using is, look, if you had the cure to cancer and somebody was a cancer patient, wouldn't you do everything possible in order to share the good news to them, in order to give them the cure? Would you ever hesitate or simply not do it because you know that maybe they might take it the wrong way? Absolutely not. If you knew that you had the cure to cancer and somebody had cancer, you would do everything in your power to tell them the cure. Whether they receive it or not, that's a matter of God and them. Your job is to simply tell them the good news. That is evangelism for us as well. It's not our job to convict them. That will be the Holy Spirit working through them. That will be God working and transforming their life, putting them in a place to hear the gospel. And yet our job is to simply be the messenger. Our job is to simply be convicted of the gospel, knowing that it is the truth of our lives, knowing that we are going to heaven because of it. And we want other people to be saved as well. Is that your conviction? Or are you more afraid or worried what other people will think? Are you willing to serve God or are you more inclined to serve man? As I was studying this passage, man, God was convicting my heart. Because, you know, one thing that I, I do as I prepare sermons is I try to, I think I, I would, I, when I was younger, I would mix this up a lot. Because I know that one of the, the idols within my heart, one of the things that I would always struggle with was, man, how, how can I make this in a way that people can accept it? How can I make this, how can I say this in a way that people will, will like it and that people will enjoy hearing this? And, and so I struggle with that. But as time has gone on, man, God has really convicted my heart and he's really spoken to me in a way that I don't think he's ever would have spoken to me if I wasn't preaching weekly. And now when I prepare my sermons, now when I'm really thinking about what to say to you, my thought isn't, will, this, will these people like my sermon? My thought is, will God be pleased by this? Will God be honored by this? Am I serving God by saying these words? And when I think in those terms, man, everything changes in my life. My whole perspective changes. The way that I prepare changes. The way that I speak changes. Everything changes when my perspective stops becoming the people around me and starts becoming God of the universe. That's why what I'm doing right now, I, I don't do it to, to please you or make you happy. Look, I want you to learn. I want you to grow. And I, and I hope that you can sense that I do care and I love you guys. However, more than anything, I want you to be taught and instructed. I want you to understand that God is the priority of your life. More than anything else, I want that to be the truth for you. That if you leave this sermon, if you leave this sermon thinking that I simply care for you, man, I have done a terrible job. If you leave this service knowing that God is the only one that you should serve, 
knowing that he is the priority of your life, that he is worthy to be praised, that he is worthy to be glorified more than anything else in this world, then I have done my job and I am good. That's what I desire for you. This is my, that's my second point, that Paul, he tells the church to serve only God. And lastly, Paul tells the church to cry for each other. I want to read to you three verses. Verse 19, it says, Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Verse 31, it says, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And then verse 37, And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him. It's interesting in this passage because Paul, he kind of cries a lot, right? And the thing is, he's not a crybaby. It was because he's trying to show us an important truth. And he's trying to show us that serving the Lord means that you are so involved in people's struggles that you are able and willing to cry over them. You see, Paul, he tells the elders that he came to be with them. In the Greek, it's a lot stronger than how it's said in the English. Because to be with them meant that his life was visible to them and that their lives were visible to him. Visible in every aspect. You know, when, when I was in school, I remember um, that a lot of my classmates were in the same classes with me multiple times. And so what would happen is over the course of a semester, I would get to know them pretty well. We would have a lot of the same classes together, right? And so we would begin to joke with each other and, and just, you know, get friendly and, and just talk about, you know, a class and, and all of that stuff. And yet the minute we left the classroom, the minute we left the school doors, bam, they were, just, they were out of my mind, right? And, and we, wouldn't, we didn't exchange phone numbers. We didn't talk afterwards. At the last day of class, it was just a quick wave, and then that was it. Sometimes when it was a really, you know, close class, maybe we would go out to get dinner once. Maybe we would go to the professor's house once to hang out. But 99% of the times, for those classmates that I made at school, I was only connected to them in one point, academics. For almost every part of our lives, we meet people that are only connected to us through one point. For our classmates, it's through academics. For our coworkers, it's professionally. For other people, it's just through that one area of their lives. But Paul is saying that his church was connected in all aspects. He lived with them, he ate with them, he worked with them, and there was no part of his life that was not visible to them. That's what it meant when he was with them. And that means that if we are a part of a church, and this is what Paul is trying to say, it is natural and it is good to be so involved with each other's struggles and victories that we cry over each other. If you're only connected to each other through one aspect of your life, then there's no way that you will cry over each other. There's no way that you will be so connected to each other as to shed tears. 
And yet for Paul, because he was so intimately connected with the Ephesian church, because his life was open and visible, and because their lives were so open and visible, it says that he cried tears again and again over them. Verse 31 says that Paul was in tears because he was admonishing them. Some of them were straying from God, and in his desperation, he was crying. In verse 37, we see that he was in tears when he was saying goodbye to his friends in Ephesus. How crazy is that? These were grown men, and they were hugging and crying and kissing because they were going to miss each other. I have never in my life seen anything like that. Even in TV, I have never seen something like that. And yet here, they were so intimately connected. They were living life together. They were so open with each other. They were so close as friends, like brothers to each other, that they were willing to cry over each other. It's a good thing to cry in the struggles and in the victories with one another. It's a good thing. It's a natural thing. It's a biblical thing here. See, church, Paul, he tells his people three things. Live as an example. Serve only God and cry for one another. And he ends his sermon, or he ends this part of his sermon in verse 21, where it says, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, for Paul, the reason why he was able to say that I am an example and follow after me is because Paul may have been an example, but he's not the example. Because even for Paul, he was following after someone else. And for us as well, Paul is a great example for us, but he's not the example for us. The example is Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ, he lived a true life of humility. He lived a life that we should follow after, that we should exemplify. He came down from his throne, and he was born in a manger. He lived a life as a carpenter's son, and he died on the cross for us. He even washed the feet of his disciples. The lowest and dirtiest job, he did it. He cared for you. He cares for you. And he loves you. Jesus Christ, he served God and not man. That in his moment of anguish, when he knew of what was to come in his life, when he knew the pain and the hurt that he was about to endure on the cross, his famous words was, not my will, but yours be done, God. This is going to be painful. I know how much this is going to hurt. But God, not my will, but yours be done. I trust in you, God. And lastly, Jesus Christ, he cried for others. We know this. See, we know that he was intimately connected with the people that were around him. We know that he had 12 disciples. And yes, they were his followers, but they were also his friends. He lived with them. He ate with them. He was with them all the time. And we see also in John 11 that when his, one of his closest friends, Lazarus, dies because of a sickness, it says that Jesus wept. He cried. He was in anguish 
over it. But church, remember, remember that in that story with Lazarus, remember that even though Lazarus died, remember that even though Jesus Christ wept, remember that Lazarus did not stay in that tomb. Lazarus, he did not stay dead. That those tears were only temporary. That Jesus Christ came to the tomb, said to open the stone, and said, Lazarus, come out. And it said that the dead man rose again. Church, I want you to know that even in our tears, that even in the tears of struggle, that even in the tears of pain, and there, there has been many and there will be many, those tears are temporary. Because for us as Christians, for us who believe in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord, the end of the gospel is not at the cross. The end of the gospel is not at his crucifixion. The end of the story is at the empty tomb. It's after three days, Jesus Christ rose again, defeating death, defeating sin, and he has made a place for us in heaven. And so now for those who believe, what we know is that this world is not it. This world is only a temporary place for us to be because God has prepared a home for us. And that home is an eternal place where there are no tears, where there's only good things, and where we'll be with Jesus for the rest of our lives. Amen? Let's pray.